The Bluegrass Region by James Lane Allen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Chris Pyle. The Bluegrass Region. One might well name it Saxon grass. So much is it at home in Saxon England. So like the loveliest landscapes of green Saxon England has it made other landscapes on which dwell a kindred race in America, and so akin is it to the type of nature that is peculiarly Saxon, being a hardy, kindly, beautiful, nourishing stock, loving rich lands and apt to find out where they lie, uprooting inferior aborigines, but stoutly defending its new domain against all invaders, paying taxes well, with profits to boot, thriving best in temperate latitudes and checkered sunshine, benevolent to flocks and herds, and allying itself closely to the history of any people whose content lies in simple plenty and habitual peace, the perfect squire and yeoman type of grasses. In the earliest spring, nothing is sooner a field to contest possession of the land than the bluegrass. Its little green spear-points are the first to pierce the soft, rich earth, and array themselves in countless companies over the rolling landscapes, while its roots reach out in every direction for a secure foothold. So early does this take place that a late hoarfrost will now and then mow all these bristling spear-points down. Sometimes a slow-falling sleet will encase each emerald blade in glittering silver, but the sun by and by melts the silver, leaving the blade unhurt, or a light snowfall will cover tufts of it over, making pavilions and colonnades with white roofs resting on green pillars. The roofs vanish anon, and the columns go on silently rising. But usually the final rigors of the season prove harmless to the bluegrass. One sees it most beautiful in the spring, just before the seed stalks have shot upward from the flowing tufts, and while the thin, smooth, polished blades, having risen to their greatest height, are beginning to bend or break and fall over on themselves, and their nether fellows from sheer luxuriance. The least observant eye is now constrained to note that the bluegrass is the characteristic element of the Kentucky turf, the first element of beauty in the Kentucky landscape. Over the stretches of woodland pasture, over the meadows and the lawns, by the edges of turnpike and lane, in the fence corners, wherever its seed has been allowed to flourish, it spreads a verdure so soft and fold and fine in texture, so entrancing by its freshness and fertility, that it looks like a deep-lying, thick, matted emerald moss. One thinks of it not as some heavy, velvet-like carpet spread over the earth, but as some light, seamless veil that has fallen delicately around it, and that might be blown away by a passing breeze. After this you will not see the bluegrass so beautiful. The seed ripens in June. Already the slender seed-stalks have sprung up above the uniform green level bearing on their summits the fuzzy, plumy, purplish seed-vessels, and save the soft, feathery undulations of these as the wind sweeps over them. The beauty of the bluegrass is gone. Moreover, certain robust and persistent weeds and grasses have been growing apace, roughening and diversifying the sward, so that the vista is less charming. During July and August the bluegrass lies comparatively inactive, resting from fructification, and missing, as well, frequent showers to temper the sunshine. In seasons of severe drought it even dies quite away, leaving the surface of the earth as bare and brown as a winter landscape or arid plain. Where it has been closely grazed, one may, in walking over it, stir such a dust as one would raise on a highway. 
and the upturned, half-exposed rootlets seem entirely dead. But the moderated heats and the gentle rains that usually come with the passing of summer bring on a second vigorous growth, and in the course of several weeks the landscape is covered with a verdure rivaling the luxuriance of spring. There is something incongruous in this marvelous autumnal rejuvenescence of the bluegrass. All nature appears content and resting. The grapes on the sunward slopes have received their final coloring of purple and gold. The heavy mast is beginning to drop in the forest, followed by the silent lapse of russet and crimson leaves. The knee-deep aftermath has paled its green in the waiting autumn fields. The plump children are stretching out their nut-stained hands toward the first happy fire-glow on chill, dark evenings. And the cricket has left the sere, dead garden for a winter home at the hearth. Then, lo, as if by some freakish return of the spring to the edge of winter, the pastures are suddenly as fresh and green as those of May. The effect on one who has the true landscape passion is transporting and bewildering. Such contrasts of color it is given one to study nowhere but in bluegrass lands. It is as if the seasons were met to do some great piece of brocading. One sees a new meaning in Poe's melancholy thought, the leaves of the many-colored grass. All winter the bluegrass continues green. It is always green, of course, never blue. And it even grows a little, except when the ground is frozen. Thus, year after year, drawing needful nourishment from the constantly disintegrating limestone below, flourishes here as nowhere else in the world this wonderful grass. Even while shivering in the bleak winds of March, the young lambs frolicked away from the distant teats of the ewes, with growing relish for its hearty succulence, and by and by they were taken in to market the sooner and the fatter for its developing qualities. During the long summer, foaming pails of milk and bowls of golden butter have testified to the Kentucky housewife with what delight the cows have ruminated on the stores gathered each plentiful day. The Kentucky farmer knows that the distant metropolitan beef-eater will in time have good reason to thank it for yonder winding herd of sleek young steers that are softly brushing their rounded sides with their long white silky tails while they plunge their puffing noses into its depths and tear away huge mouthfuls of its inexhaustible richness thoroughbred sire and dam and foal and paddocks or deeper pastures have drawn from it form and quality and organization hardness and solidity of bone strength of tendon firmness and elasticity of muscle power of nerve and capacity of lung even the Falstaff porkers, their eyes gleaming with gluttonous enjoyment, have looked to it for the shaping of their posthumous hams, and the padding of their long backbones in depths of snowy lard. In winter, mules and sheep and horses paw away the snow to get at the green shoots that lie covered over beneath the full rank growth of autumn, or they find it attractive provender in their ricks. For all that live upon it, it is perennial and abundant, beautiful and beneficent, the first great natural factor in the prosperity of the Kentucky people. What wonder if the Kentuckian, like the Greek of old, should wish to have even his paradise well set in grass, or that with a knowing humor he should smile at David, for saying he maketh his grass to grow upon the mountains, insomuch as the only grass worth speaking of grows on his beloved plain. But if grass is the first element in the lovely Kentucky landscape, as it must be in every other one, by no means should it be thought sole or chief. In Dante, as Ruskin points out, whenever the country is to be beautiful, we come into open air and open meadows. Homer places the sirens in a meadow where they are to sing. 
over the bluegrass therefore one walks into the open air and open meadows of the bluegrass land this has long had reputation for being one of the very beautiful spots of the earth and it is worth while to consider those elements of natural scenery wherein the beauty consists one might say first that the landscape possesses what is so very rare even in beautiful landscapes the quality of gracefulness nowhere does one encounter vertical lines or violent slopes nor are there perfectly level stretches like those that make the green fields monotonous in the dutch lowlands the dark finely sifted soil lies deep over the limestone hills filling out their chasms to evenness and rounding their jagged or precipitous edges very much as a heavy snow at night will leave the morning landscape with mitigated ruggedness and softer curves the long slow action of water has further moulded everything into symmetry so that the low ancient hills descend to the valleys in exquisite folds and uninterrupted slopes the whole great plain undulates away league after league towards the distant horizon in an endless succession of gentle convex surfaces like the easy swing of the sea presenting a panorama of subdued swells and retiring surges everything in the bluegrass country is billowy and afloat the spirit of nature is intermediate between violent energy and complete repose and the effect of this mild activity is kept from monotony by the accidental perspective of position creating variety of details one traces this quality of gracefulness in the labyrinthine courses of the restful streams in the disposition of forest masses in the free unstudied succession of meadow field and lawn surely is just this order of low hill scenery just these buoyant undulations that should be covered with the bluegrass had hawthorne ever looked on this landscape when most beautiful he could never have said of england that no other country will ever have this charm of lovely verdure characteristically beautiful spots on the bluegrass landscape are the woodland pastures a kentucky wheat field a kentucky meadow a kentucky lawn is but a field a meadow a lawn found elsewhere but a kentucky sylvan slope has a loveliness unique and local rightly do poets make preeminently beautiful countries abound in trees john burroughs writing with enthusiasm of english woods has said that in midsummer the hair of our trees seems to stand on end the woods have a frightened look or as if they were just recovering from a debauch this is not true of the kentucky woods unless it be in some season of protracted drought the foliage of the kentucky trees is not thin nor disheveled the leaves crowd thick to the very ends of the boughs and spread themselves full to the sky making where they are close together underspaces of green gloom scarcely shot through by sunbeams indeed one often finds here the perfection of tree forms i mean that rare development which brings the extremities of the boughs to the very limit of the curve that nature intends the tree to define as the peculiar shape of its species any but the most favorable conditions leave the outline jagged faulty and untrue here and there over the bluegrass landscape one's eye rests on a cone-shaped or dome-shaped or inverted pear-shaped or fan-shaped tree nor are fullness of leafage and perfection of form alone to be noted pendency of boughs is another distinguishing feature one who loves and closely studies trees will note here the comparative absence of woody stiffness it is expected that the willow and the elm should droop their branches here the same characteristic strikes you in the wild cherry the maple and the sycamore even in great walnuts and ashes and oaks and i have occasionally discovered exceeding grace of form in hackberries 
which usually look paralytic as if waiting to hobble away on crutches in locusts and in the harsh hickories loved by thoreau but to return to the woodland pastures they are the last vestiges of that unbroken primeval forest which together with cane brakes and pea vines covered the face of the country when it was first beheld by the pioneers no bluegrass then in these woods the timber has been so cut out that the remaining trees often stand clearly revealed in their entire form their far-reaching boughs perhaps not even touching those of the nearest neighbor or interlacing them with ineffectual fondness there is something pathetic in the sight and in the thought of these innumerable stricken ones that in years agone were dismembered for cordwood and kitchen stoves and the vast fireplaces of old-time negro cabins in the well-kept bluegrass pasture undergrowth and weeds are annually cut down so that the massive trunks are revealed from a distance the better because the branches seldom are lower than from ten to twenty feet above the earth thus in its daily course the sun strikes every point beneath the broad branches and nourishes the bluegrass up to the very roots all savagery all wildness is taken out of these pastures they are full of tenderness and repose of the utmost delicacy and elegance over the graceful earth spreads the flowing green grass uniform and universal above this stand the full swelling trunks warm browns and pale grays often lichen-flecked or moss-enameled over these expand the vast domes and canopies of leafage and falling down upon these comes the placid sunshine through a sky of cerulean blueness and past the snowy zones of gleaming cloud the very individuality of the tree comes out as it never can in denser places always the most truly human object in still voiceless nature it here throws out its arms to you with imploring tenderness with what wordsworth called the soft eye music of slow waving boughs one cannot travel far in the bluegrass country without coming upon one of these woodland strips of the artistic service rendered the landscape of this region by other elements of scenery atmosphere and cloud and sky much might but little will be said the atmosphere is sometimes crystalline sometimes full of that intense repose of dazzling light which one without ever having seen them knows to be on canvases of turner then again it is amber-hued or tinged with soft blue graduated to purple shadows on the horizon during the greater part of the year the cloud sky is one of the strongly outlined forms the great white cumuli drift over with every majesty of design and grace of grouping but there come in milder seasons many days when one may see three cloud belts in the heavens at the same time the lowest far far away and the highest brushing softly as it were past the very dome of the inviolable blue you turn your eye downward to see the light wandering wistfully among the low distant hills and the sweet tremulous shadows crossing the meadows with timid cadences it is a beautiful country the kentucky skies are not the cold hard brilliant hideous things that so many writers on nature style american skies usually meaning new england skies as contrasted with skies european they are at times ineffably warm in tone and tender in hue giving aerial distances magical and fathomless above and throwing down upon the varied soft harmonious greens of the landscape below upon its rich browns and weathered grays and whole scheme of terrene colors a flood of radiance as bountiful and transfiguring as it is chastened and benign but why make a description of the bluegrass region of kentucky 
what one sees may be only what one feels only intricate affinities between nature and self that were developed long ago and have become too deep to be viewed as relations or illusions what two human beings find the same things in the face of a third or in nature's descriptions of scenery are notoriously disappointing those whose taste in landscape is different or who have little or no sentiment for pure landscape beauty so one coming hither might be sorely disappointed no mountains no strips of distant blue gleaming water nor lawny cascades no grandeur no majesty no wild picturesqueness the chords of landscape harmony are very simple nothing but softness and amenity grace and repose delicacy and elegance one might fail at seasons to find even these this is a beautiful country but not always there come days when the climate shows as ugly a temper as possible not a little of the finest timber has been lost by storms the sky is for days one great blanket of gruesome gray in winter you laugh with chattering teeth those who call this the south the thermometer perhaps registering from twelve to fifteen degrees below zero in summer the name is but a half truth only by visiting this region during some lovely season or by dwelling here from year to year and seeing it in all the humors of storm and sunshine can one love it but the ideal landscape of daily life must not be merely beautiful it should be useful with what may not the fertility of this region be compared with the valleys of the schuylkill the shenandoah and the genesee with the richest lands of lombardy and belgium with the most fertile districts of england the evidences of this fertility are everywhere nature even in those places where she has been forced for nearly a hundred years to bear much at the hands of a not always judicious agriculture unceasingly struggles to cover herself with bushes of all sorts and nameless annual weeds and grasses even the bluegrass contends in vain for complete possession of its freehold one is forced to note even though without sentiment the rich pageant of transitory wild bloom that will force a passage for itself over the landscape firmaments of golden dandelions on the lawns vast beds of violets gray and blue in dim glades patches of flaunting sunflowers along the roadsides purple thistles and have deeper purple still and far denser growth beautiful ironweed in the woods with many clumps of alder bloom and fast extending patches of perennial blackberry and groups of delicate may apples and whole fields of dog fennel and goldenrod and why mention indomitable dock and gigantic poke burrs and plenteous nightshade and mullein and plantain when dusty gray-green ragweed and thrifty foxtail and innumerable company maize pumpkins and beans grow together in a field a triple crop nature perfects them all yet must do more scarce have the ploughs left the furrows before there springs up a varied wild growth and a fourth crop morning glories festoon the tall tassels of the indian corn ere the knife can be laid against the stalk harvest fields usually have their stubble well hidden by a rich deep aftermath garden patches for all that the hoe and rake can do commonly look at last like spots given over to weeds and grasses sidewalks quickly lose their borders pavements would soon disappear from sight the winding of a distant stream through the fields can be readily followed by the line of vegetation that rushes there to fight for life from the minutest creeping vines to forest trees every neglected fence corner becomes an area for a fresh colony leave one of these sweet humanized woodland patches alone for a short period of years it runs wild with a dense young natural forest 
Vines shoot up to the tops of the tallest trees, and then tumble over in green sprays on the heads of others. A kind, true, patient, self-helpful soil, if ever there was one. Some of these lands, after being cultivated, not always scientifically, but always without artificial fertilizers, for more than three-quarters of a century, are now, if properly treated, equal in productiveness to the best farming lands of England. The farmer from one of these old fields will take two different crops in a season. He gets two cuttings of clover from a meadow, and has rich grazing left. A few counties have at a time produced three-fourths of the entire hemp product of the United States. The state itself has at different times stood first in wheat and hemp and Indian corn and wool and tobacco and flax, although half its territory is covered with virgin forests. When lands under improper treatment have become impoverished, their productiveness has been restored, not by artificial fertilizers, but by simple rotation of crops with nature's help. The soil rests on decomposable limestone, which annually gives up to it in solution all the essential mineral plant food that judicious agriculture needs. Soil and air and climate, the entire aggregate of influences happily cooperative, make the finest grazing. The Kentucky horse has carried the reputation of the country into regions where even the people could never have made it known. Your expert in the breeding of thoroughbreds will tell you that the muscular fiber of the bluegrass animal is to that of the Pennsylvania-bred horses, as silk to cotton, and the texture of his bone, compared with the latter's, as ivory beside pumice stone. If taken to the eastern states in twelve generations, he is no longer the same breed of horse. His blood fertilizes American stock the continent over. Jersey cattle brought here increase in size. Sires come to Kentucky to make themselves and their offspring famous. The people themselves are a fecund race. Out of this state have gone more to enrich the citizenship of the nation than all the other states together have been able to send into it. So at least your loyal-hearted Kentuckian looks at the rather delicate subject of interstate migration. By actual measurement, the Kentucky volunteers during the Civil War were found to surpass all others, except Tennesseans, in height and weight, whether coming from the United States or various countries of Europe. But for the great-headed Scandinavians, they would have been first, also in circumference around the forehead and the occiput. Still, Kentucky has little or no literature. One element that should be conspicuous in fertile countries does not strike the observer here. Much beautiful water. No other state has a frontage of navigable rivers equal to that of Kentucky, but there are a few limpid, lovely, smaller streams. Wonderful springs there are, and vast stores of water in the cavernous earth below. But the landscape lacks the charm of this element, clear, rushing, musical, abundant. The watercourses, ever winding and graceful, are apt to be either swollen and turbid or insignificant. Of late years the beds seem less full also, a change consequent, perhaps, upon the denunation of forest lands. In a dry season the historic elkhorn seems little more than a ganglion of precarious pools. The best artists who have painted cultivated ground have always been very careful to limit the area of the crops. Undoubtedly the substitution of a more scientific agriculture for the loose and easy ways of primitive husbandry has changed the keynote of rural existence from a tender Virgilian sentiment to a coarser strain. And as life becomes more unsophisticated, it grows less picturesque. When the work of the old-time reaper is done by a fat man with a flaming face sitting on a cast-iron machine and smoking a cob pipe, the artist will leave the fields. Figures have a terrible power to destroy sentiment in pure landscape. So have houses. When one leaves nature pure and simple in the bluegrass country, he must accordingly pick his way circumspectly, or go amiss in his search for the beautiful. 
If his tastes lead him to desire in landscapes the finest evidences of human labor, the high artificial finish of a minutely careful civilization, he will here find great disappointment. On the other hand, if he delight in those exquisite rural spots of the old world, with picturesque bits of homestead architecture, and the perfection of horticultural and unobtrusive botanical details, he will be no less aggrieved. What he sees here is neither the most scientific farming, simply economic and utilitarian, raw and rude, nor that cultivated desire for the elements of nature to be so molded by the hand of man that they will fuse harmoniously and inextricably with his habitations and his work. The whole face of the country is taken up by a succession of farms. Each of these, except the very small ones, presents to the eye the variation of meadow, field, and woodland pasture, together with the homestead and the surrounding grounds of orchard, garden, and lawn. The entire landscape is thus caught in a vast network of fences. The Kentuckian retains his English ancestors' love of enclosures, but the uncertain tenure of estates beyond a single generation does not encourage him to make them the most durable. One does indeed notice here and there throughout the country stone walls of blue limestone that give an aspect of substantial repose and comfortable firmness to the scenery. But the farmer dreads their costliness, even though his own hillsides furnish him an abundant quarry. He knows that unless the foundations are laid like those of a house, the thawing earth will unsettle them, that water freezing as it trickles through the crevices will force the stones out of their places, and that breaches will be made in them by boys on a hunt, whenever and wherever it shall be necessary to get at a lurking or sorely pressed hare. It is ludicrously true that the most terrible destroyer of stone walls in this country is the small boy hunting a hare, with an appetite for game that knows no geological impediment. Therefore one hears of fewer limestone fences of late years, some being torn down and superseded by plank fences or post and rail fences, or by the newer barbed wire fence, an economic device that will probably become as popular in regions where stone and timber were never to be had as in others like this, where timber has been ignorantly, wantonly sacrificed. It is a pleasure to know that one of the most expensive, and certainly the most hideous fences ever in vogue here, is falling into disuse. I mean the worm fence, called worm because it wriggled over the landscape like a long brown caterpillar, the stakes being the bristles along its back, and because it now and then ate up a noble walnut tree close by, or a kingly oak, or frightened trembling ash, a worm that decided the destiny of forests. A pleasure it is, too, to come occasionally upon an Osage orange hedgerow, which is a green eternal fence. But you will not find many of these. It is generally too much to ask of an American, even though he be a Kentuckian, to wait for a hedge to grow and make him a fence. When he takes a notion to have a fence, he wants it put up before Saturday night. If the Kentuckian, like the Englishman, is fond of fencing himself off, like the Frenchman, he loves long, straight roads, you will not find elsewhere in America such highways as the Kentuckian has constructed over his country. Broad, smooth, level, white, glistening turnpikes of macadamized limestone. It is a luxury to drive and also an expense, as one will discover before one has passed through many toll gates. One could travel more cheaply on the finest railway on the continent. What Richard Grant White thought it worth while to record as a rare and interesting sight, a man on an English highway breaking stones, is no uncommon sight here. All limestone for these hundreds of miles of road, having been quarried here, there, anywhere, and carted and strewn along the roadside, is broken by a hammer in the hand. By the highway the workman sits, usually an Irishman, pecking away at a long rugged pile as though he were good to live for a thousand years. 
Somehow, in patience, he always gets to the other end of his hard row. One cannot sojourn long without coming to conceive an interest in this limestone, and loving to meet its rich, warm hues on the landscape. It has made a deal of history. Limestone bluegrass, limestone water, limestone roads, limestone fences, limestone bridges and arches, limestone engineering architecture, limestone water mills, limestone spring houses and homesteads, limestone Kentuckians. Outside of Scripture, no people were ever so founded on a rock. It might be well to note, likewise, that the soil of this region is what scientists call sedentary, called so because it sits quietly on the rocks, not because the people sit quietly on it. Undoubtedly, the most picturesque monuments in the bluegrass country are old stone water mills and old stone homesteads, landmarks each for separate trains of ideas that run to poetry and to history. The latter, built by pioneers or descendants of pioneers nearly a hundred years ago, stand gray with years, but good for nameless years to come. Great low chimneys, deep little windows, thick walls, mighty fireplaces, situated usually with keen discretion on an elevation near a spring, just as a Saxon forefather would have placed them centuries ago. Happily one will see the water of this spring issuing still from a recess in a hillside, with an overhanging ledge of rock, the entrance to this cavern being walled across and closed with a gate, thus making, according to ancient fashion, a simple natural spring-house and dairy. Something like a feeling of exasperation is apt to come over one in turning to the typical modern houses. Nowhere, certainly in rural America, are there, within the same area, more substantial, comfortable homesteads. They are nothing if not spacious and healthful, frame or brick, two stories, shingle roofs, but they lack characteristic physiognomy. They have no harmony with the landscape, nor with each other, nor often with themselves. They are not beautiful when new, and can never be beautiful when old. For the beauty of newness and the beauty of oldness alike depend on beauty of form and color, which here is lacking. One longs for the sight of a rural Gothic cottage, which would harmonize so well with the order of the scenery, or for a light, elegant villa that would overlook these light and elegant undulations of a beautiful and varied landscape. It must be understood that there are notable exceptions to these statements, even in the outlying districts of the bluegrass country, and that they do not apply to the environs of the towns, nor to the towns themselves. Nowhere does one see masses of merely beautiful things in the country. The slumbering art of interior decoration is usually spent upon the parlor. The grounds around the houses are not kept in the best order. The typical rural Kentucky housewife does not seem to have any compelling, controlling sense of the beautiful. She invariably concedes something to beauty, but not enough. You will find a show of flowers at the poorest houses, though but geranium slips and miscellaneous tins and pottery. But you do not generally see around more prosperous homes any such parterres or beds as there is money to spend on, and time to tend, and grounds to justify. A like spirit is shown by the ordinary bluegrass farmer. His management strikes you as not the pink of tidiness, not the model of systematic thrift. Exceptions exist many exceptions. But the rule holds good. One cannot travel here in summer or autumn without observing that weeds flourish where they harm and create ugliness. Fences go unrepaired. Gates may be found swinging on one hinge. He misuses his long cultivated fields. He cuts down his scant precious trees. His energy is not tireless. His watchfulness not sleepless. Why should they be? Human life here is not massed and swarming. The occupation of the soil is not close and niggard. The landscape is not even compact, much less crowded. There is room for more, plenty for more to eat. 
no man here like the ancient roman praetor ever decided how often one might without trespass gather the acorns that fall from his neighbor's trees no woman ever went through a bluegrass harvest field gleaning ruth's vocation is unknown by nature the kentuckian is no rigid economist by birth education tradition and inherited tendencies he is not a country clout but a rural gentleman his ideal of life is neither vast wealth nor personal distinction but solid comfort in material conditions and the material conditions are easy fertility of soil annual excess of production over consumption comparative thinness of population so he does not brace himself for the tense struggle of life as it goes on in centers of fierce territorial shoulder-pushing he can afford to indulge his slackness of endeavor he is neither an alert aggressive agriculturalist nor a landscape gardener nor a purveyor of commodities to the greengrocer if the world wants vegetables let it raise them he declines to work himself to death for other people though they pay him for it his wife is a lady not a domestic laborer and it is her privilege in household affairs placidly to surround herself with an abundance which the lifelong female economists of the north would regard with conscientious indignation in truth there is much evidence to show that this park-like country intersected by many beautiful railroads turnpikes and shaded picturesque lanes will become less and less an agricultural district more and more a region of unequaled pasturage and hence more park-like still one great interest abides here of course the manufacture of bourbon whiskey another interest has only within the last few years been developed the cultivation of tobacco for which it was formerly thought that the bluegrass soils were not adapted but as years go by the stock interests invite more capital demand more attention give more pleasure in a word strike the full chord of modern interest by furnishing an unparalleled means of speculative profit forty years ago the most distinguished citizens of the state were engaged in writing essays and prize papers on scientific agriculture a regular trotting track was not to be found in the whole country nothing was thought of the breeding and training of horses with reference to development of greater speed pacing horses were fashionable and two great rivals in this gate having been brought together for a trial of speed in lieu of a track paced a mighty race over a river-bottom flat we have changed all that the gentlemen no longer write their essays beef won the spurs of knighthood in kentucky the horse has already been styled the first citizen the great agricultural fairs of the state have modified their exhibits with reference to him alone and fifteen or twenty thousand people give afternoon after afternoon to the contemplation of his beauty and his speed his one rival is the thoroughbred who goes on running faster and faster one of the brief code of nine laws for the government of the young kentucky commonwealth that were passed in the first legislative assembly ever held west of the alleghanies dealt with the preservation of the breed of horses nothing was said of education the kentuckian loves the memory of thomas jefferson not forgetting that he once ran racehorses these great interests not overlooking the cattle interest the manufacture of whiskey and the raising of tobacco will no doubt constitute the future determining factors in the history of this country it should not be forgotten however that the northern and eastern palate becomes kindly disposed at the bare mention of the many thousands of turkeys that annually fatten on these plains in kentucky writes professor shaler in his recent history we shall find nearly pure english blood it is moreover the largest body of pure english folk that has speaking generally been separated from the mother country for two hundred years they the bluegrass kentuckians are the descendants of those hardy high-spirited picked englishmen 
largely of the squire and yeoman class whose absorbing passion was not religious disputation nor the intellectual purpose of founding a state but the ownership of land and the pursuits and pleasures of rural life close to the rich soil and full of its strength and sunlight they have to this day in a degree perhaps equaled by no others living the race qualities of their english ancestry and the taste and habitudes of their forefathers if one knows the saxon nature and has been a close student of kentucky life and character stripped bare of the accidental circumstances of local environment he may amuse himself with laying the two side by side and comparing the points of essential likeness it is a question whether the kentuckian is not more like his english ancestor than his new england contemporary this is an old country as things go in the west the rock formation is very old the soil is old the race qualities here are old in the sagas in the edda a man must be over brave let all who are not cowards follow me cried mcgarry putting an end to prudent counsel on the eve of the battle of the blue licks the kentuckian winced under the implication then and has done it in a thousand instances since over bravery the idea runs through the pages of kentucky history drawing them back into the centuries of his race it is this quality of temper and conception of manhood that has operated to build up in the mind of the world the figure of the typical kentuckian hawthorne conversed with an old man in england who told him that the kentuckians flayed tecumseh where he fell and converted his skin into razor strops collins the kentucky foissart speaking of kentucky pioneers relates of the father of one of them that he knocked washington down in a quarrel and received an apology from the father of his country on the following day i have mentioned this typical hotspur figure because i knew it would come foremost into the mind of the reader whenever one began to speak with candor of kentucky life and character it was never a true type satire bit always into burlesque along lines of coarseness and exaggeration much less is it true now except in so far as it describes a kind of human being found the world over but i was saying that old race qualities are apparent here because this is a people of english blood with hereditary agricultural tastes and because it has remained to this day largely uncommingled with foreign strains here for instance is the old race conservatism that expends itself reverentially on established ways and familiar customs the building of the first great turnpike in this country was opposed on the ground that it would shut up wayside taverns throw wagons and teams out of employment and destroy the market for chickens and oats prior to that immigration was discouraged because it would make the already high prices of necessary articles so exorbitant that the permanent prosperity of the state would receive a fatal check true however this opposition was not without a certain philosophy for in those days people went to some distant lick for their salt bought it warm from the kettle at seven or eight cents a pound and packed it home on horseback so that a fourth dropped away in bitter water coming back to the present the huge yellowish-red stagecoach rolls to-day over the marbled roads of the bluegrass country families may be found living exactly where their pioneer ancestors effected a heroic settlement a landed aristocracy if there be such in america family names come down from generation to generation just as a glance at the british peerage will show that they were long ago being transmitted in kindred families over the sea one great honored name will do nearly as much in kentucky as in england to keep a family in peculiar respect after the reason for it has ceased here is that old invincible race ideal of personal liberty and that old unreckoning truculent animal rage at whatever infringes on it the kentuckians were among the very earliest to grant manhood suffrage nowhere in this country are the rights of property more inviolable the violations of these more surely punished 
Neither counsel nor judge nor any power whatsoever can acquit a man who has taken four pence of his neighbor's goods. Here is the old land-loving, land-holding, home-staying, home-defending disposition. This is not the lurching tourist race that, to Mr. Ruskin's horror, leaves its crumbs and chicken bones on the glaciers. The simple rural keynote of life is still the sweetest. Now, after the lapse of more than a century, the most populous town contains less than 20,000 white souls. Along with the love of land has gone comparative content with the annual increase of flock and field. No man among them has ever got immense wealth. Here is the old sense of personal privacy and reserve which has for centuries entrenched the Englishman in the heart of his estate, and forced him to regard with inexpugnable discomfort his neighbor's boundaries. This would have been a densely peopled region. The farms would have been minutely subdivided, had sons asked and received permission to settle on parts of the ancestral estate. This filling in and too close personal contact would have satisfied neither father nor child, so that the one has generally kept his acres intact, and the other, impelled by the same land hunger that brought his pioneer forefather hither, has gone hence into the younger west, where lie broader tracts and vaster spaces. Here is the old idea, somewhat current still in England, that the highest mark of the gentleman is not cultivation of the mind, not intellect, not knowledge, but elegant living. Here is the old hereditary devotion to the idea of the state. Write the biographies of the Kentuckians who have been engaged in national or in local politics, and you have largely the history of the state of Kentucky. Write the lives of all its scientists, artists, musicians, actors, poets, novelists, and you find many weary milestones between the chapters. Enter the bluegrass region from what point you choose, and you may do this, so well traversed is it by railways, and you become sensitive to its influence. If you come from the north or the east, you say, This is not modern America. Here is something local and unique. For one thing, nothing goes fast here. By and by, you see a bluegrass racehorse and note an exception. But you do not also accept the rider or the driver. The speed is not his. He is a mere bunch of mistletoe to the horse. Detach him, and he is not worth timing. Human speed, for the most part, lies fallow. Every man starts for the goal of life at his own natural gait, and if he sees that it is too far off for him to reach it in a lifetime, he does not run the faster, but has the goal moved nearer him. The Kentuckians are not provincial. As Thoreau said, no people can long remain provincial who have a propensity for politics, whittling, and rapid traveling. They are not inaccessible to modern ideas, but the shock of modern ideas has not electrified them. They have walled themselves around with old race instincts and habitudes. And when the stream of tendency rushes against this wall, it recoils upon itself instead of sweeping away the barrier. The typical Kentuckian regards himself an American of the Americans, and thinks as little of being like the English as he would of imitating the Jutes. In nothing is he more like his transatlantic ancestry than in strong self-content. He sits on his farm as though it were the pole of the heavens, a manly man with a heart in him. Usually the blonde type, robust, well-formed, with clear, fair complexion that grows ruddier with age and stomachic development, full neck and an open, kind, untroubled countenance. He is frank but not familiar, talkative but not garrulous, full of the genial humor of local hits and allusions, but without a subtle nimbleness of wit, indulgent towards purely masculine vices, but intolerant of petty crimes, no reader of books nor master in religious debate, faith coming to him as naturally as his appetite, and growing with what it feeds upon. 
loving roast pig but not caring particularly for lamb's eulogy loving his grass like a greek not because it is beautiful but because it is fresh and green a peaceful man with strong passions and so to be heartily loved and respected or heartily hated and respected but never despised or trifled with an occasional barbecue in the woods where the saddles of south down mutton are roasted on spits over the coals of the mighty trench and the steaming kettles of burgoo lend their savor to the nose of the hungry political orator so that he becomes all the more impetuous in his invectives the great agricultural fairs the race courses the monthly county court day when he meets his neighbors on the public square of the nearest town the quiet sunday mornings when he meets them again for rather more clandestine talks at the front door of the neighborhood church these and his own fireside are his characteristic and ample pleasures you will never be under his roof without being touched by the mellowest of all the virtues of his race simple unsparing human kindness and hospitality the women of kentucky have long had a reputation for beauty an average type is a refinement on the english blonde greater delicacy of form feature and color a beautiful kentucky woman is apt to be exceedingly beautiful her voice is low and soft her hands and feet delicately formed her skin pure and beautiful in tint and shading her eyes blue or brown and hair nut brown or golden brown to all which is added a certain unapproachable refinement it must not for a moment be supposed however that there are not many genuinely ugly women in kentucky End of the Bluegrass Region by James Lane Allen Thank you for listening.